Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome to Talking Mopars, episode number 41. On today's show, we have Project Car of the Week, high-performance parts, listener stories. And then we're going to have a discussion about a car that would be considered a Mopar unicorn, one of one, the 1970 Chrysler Hurst 300H convertible. We're going to learn all about it right here on today's show. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. What's up, my friends? We are back for another episode of Talking Mopars. And before we kick things off, I just want to talk about something that kind of bothered me a little bit. It left a sour taste in my mouth, if you will. And that was the 1970 Charger that I talked about on last week's episode at the very end of the show that was for sale for $10,000 and got sold allegedly for $21,500. Now, here's my issue. The car is back up for sale. Somebody bought it, and now they are trying to sell the car for $40,000, okay? Here's the biggest problem of all. It's not even a real RT. Now, if you saw the ad that I posted on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page, you'd see that the car was listed for $10,000, and it had Charger RT scoops on the doors. But as it turns out, it's not even a real RT. The guy posted the VIN number, so here we have a 318 Charger that the guy's trying to ask $40,000 for. Now, it's running and driving, so that's cool, but it's not a real RT. He's trying to get that RT tax on it, and it's just not going to happen. If the car was a real RT, you know, he may be, you know, $40,000 is still a little crazy, but I've talked about being okay with buying cars that were priced pretty crazy, but they were authentic cars. So, you know, a running and driving 1970 Charger RT for $40,000, You know, is it crazy? Yeah, a little bit, but those cars are getting harder and harder to find, especially in running and driving condition where, you know, you got a ratty Charger RT. How cool would that be? But $40,000, the guy's out of his mind. And I just don't see him making that kind of a profit. I wouldn't be surprised if the car sold for, you know, $25,000. $40,000 is a big stretch, and the guy's out to make some serious cash uh, on the flip. But I just don't see that happening. So good luck to him. 
Um, I really had hoped that somebody who was going to take the car and revive it was going to get it, but no such luck. I know that myself and others all had hoped that, you know, a real enthusiast would get their hands on the car. Maybe it would turn into a, a father-son project or something like that, you know, a family project car. But that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to have landed in the hands of a flipper. Now, I do have friends that flip cars. Okay, so it's not that I'm against flipping cars. You know, if you want to make a little bit of money, go get your paper. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, you know, this is just criminal. <laughs> I just, it really just hurts my heart because a car that in the hands of the right enthusiast would be a screaming deal, maybe on the guy's dream car, or the girl's dream car. You know, they had just enough money. They had $21,000 and they managed to get this Charger RT. Now, it would have been great if they had gotten it for 10000 but they didn't. They spent twenty one five. But hey, they got their dream car. And if it had been an RT, that would have been an even crazier deal. But it wasn't. So, you know, flippers like this, they really, you know, muddy up the waters in the Mopar market. And that doesn't make me very happy. It just makes things harder for the rest of us that want to get our hands on these cool sought-after Mopars, especially ones that are running and driving. You know, that saves a lot of headache. But, you know, what can you do? You can't really do much. Um... Someday I hope to be in the position where I can stop things like that from happening, but you can't save them all. And I hope the car lands in an enthusiast's hands, but for $40,000, I just don't see it happening. I think the new seller is going to sit on it for a while, unless there's somebody out there with really deep pockets that really wants a charger that's not an RT, but forty grand. That's a little insane, but enough about that crazy guy flipping the car. To all the flippers out there, hey, I understand. You know, it's a business. I get it. But there is a fine line between making a profit and not knowing what the hell you are doing. You know, this guy clearly doesn't know what he's doing unless he's looking for a sucker, which that's kind of scammy and I don't like that. I don't appreciate that at all. And karma's going to get that guy. But we have other more important things to talk about here today on Talking Mopar. So let's get this show on the road. This week, we have two project cars of the week. The first one was posted on July 15th. That was Wednesday at 9 a.m. on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page. Let's get into this first ad. 1972 Dodge Charger, $15,000. 340 Magnum engine garaged for 20 years, only 3,800 made, only one year for the rally pack. Title status is clean. Odometer says 46,810 miles. Condition is fair. It appears this car is located just outside of St. Louis, Missouri. All right, folks, what we have here is a 72 Charger with the uh, Rally Option Package. And if you didn't know, in 1972, Chrysler stopped producing the RT, the Super B, and the 500 models. And basically, they just created the Rally Package. So they simplified everything. And this car is pretty solid. You know, it's yellow, it's got the bumblebee stripe, it's got a 340 small block, and it looks pretty straight. You know, I can't really see much of the interior. The carpet looks faded. It is a console shift automatic, so that's cool. Um, it's got some aftermarket gauges and uh, an aftermarket tape deck, it looks like. But the seats are covered, so you can't really see the condition of those. But overall, if this thing runs and drives, then this is a pretty good buy. 15000 you get a solid car. And these 71 and later B bodies sometimes are hard to find parts for. So it's nice to find something complete. And, you know, for 15000 hopefully you have a numbers matching engine and transmission. That's always a plus. 
but I think this car has a lot of potential, and I like it. Over the past few years, I've actually become more fond of the 71 plus B bodies. I really like them. I like the Chargers. You know, a lot of people are a little reserved on the Chargers after 1970, but I like them. And, you know, I'm a big fan of the Roadrunners. If I could find a Roadrunner, a 71 or a 72, I'd be really happy. But, you know, Chargers are cool too. They're great cars because you can still get them for reasonably cheap. A lot of them you can get that are complete and that run and drive because they're not as sought after as the 1970 and anything before that. So I do think they make great project cars. They're awesome Mopars, and this one seems like a good buy. The ad was pretty vague, but hey, you get a clean title, 15,000. We're going to assume that it runs and drives, and we're going to assume that it has a numbers matching engine and transmission. So with all that into consideration, I think 15,000 isn't a bad deal. Maybe you could get it for 12. Who knows? But I think it's a good option for somebody who doesn't have a lot of time or space or money for that matter to restore a car completely and they just want something that they can just jump in, turn the key and have fun with and maybe, you know, throw some day two stuff at it along the way and just enjoy it. Go cruising. Have some fun. Take it to a cruise night. I think this is a great car for that. The paint looks pretty clean and, you know, overall, I don't see a lot of rot on this car. You know, it needs work, but nothing crazy. I mean, it's got a cracked dash, faded carpet. I'm going to assume the seats are a little tore up, but you know, nothing on this car is missing anything that is hard to find. So that's always good. It's got a bumblebee stripe on it. So that's cool. Under the hood, you know, it needs a little bit of work. It's a little tired looking, but that's no big deal. I mean, you get something that is, you know, running and driving, just go enjoy it. The seller claims only 3,800 were made in 1972 of the rally package. Actual production numbers for 1972 Chargers were 75,600, and as far as the rally package go, something like 4,351 rally package Chargers were manufactured, and 3,891 of those were hard tops. So we'll give the seller a pass on his massaging of the numbers a little bit, so now you know the truth. Only a little over 4,000 rally package Chargers in 1972 were actually produced. But I think this is a good buy. So anybody out there that has 15000 in their pocket, maybe 12000 you know, you might be able to get this car for 12000 cash, maybe even 10000 cash. Who knows? But my point is, cars like these are great because you don't necessarily have to throw a bunch of money at them to get them on the road and enjoy them. So, you know, it doesn't look like under the hood has been modified extensively or anything like that. And it's got some decent looking Magnum 500 wheels on it. So throw some new tires on it, check the brakes, fill her up and go. You know what I mean? But this thing looks good. I say 15000 is a good buy. If he doesn't want to budge on the price, hey, if it's numbers matching, then go for it. The car looks solid, and for $15,000, I'd buy it most definitely. I'm curious to see if it's the original paint and what's underneath the paint if it's not original, because I don't see a lot of rot on this car. As a matter of fact, I mean, the quarters look solid. The rockers look solid. Um, the pictures aren't the best quality, so I'm just kind of guessing here, but you know, other than some minor cosmetic details, this thing's ready to go. You could probably jump in this car, turn the key, and cruise it right now. That's what I'm guessing. Get a hold of the seller, try to work a deal, because this car probably won't last long, and if it does, it's only because there's some people out there ignorant about what $15,000 usually gets you in the Mopar market. It usually doesn't get you anything that runs and drives that's somewhat sought after. I mean, this thing's got a 340 Magnum in it. That's pretty cool. $15,000, goodbye, go get it. Pick it up right now. Moving on to the second project car of the week. 
Our second project car of the week is a car that hopefully you're familiar with because I talked about it on episode 21, and it's a 1971 EL5 Charger. Now, if you didn't hear the story, back in March on my birthday, I went to go look at a 75 Dodge D100, and I ended up finding... I ended up running across a 71 Charger on that same day at that same place. And I really liked it, and I still like it, and I wish I could buy it. I'm just not in the position right now to buy it, and, you know, I'm not expecting the seller to hold on to it for me. So, hey, it's up for sale. 71 Charger. It's a 318 car. No title. Needs some work. But I think it's got good bones. I think it's solid, and, you know, it needs a little work. It needs some parts. Actually, it needs a lot of work and a lot of parts. But you want to know what my plan for the car was. At first, I was like, oh, this would be a cool Super B clone or an RT clone. And then I started thinking about it. And I was like, well, you know, if you're going to build a car from the ground up and it's nothing crazy like an RT or anything special, a Super B or something like that, why not have some fun? So I thought a ratty Pro Street Charger would be really cool. I was going to throw some plastic buckets in it and get it caged up. You know, I thought about the 451 stroker that I'm having built for the Dart. I was like, maybe I'll just put the stroker in the charger, and then I'll build the 5.7 Hemi I have for the Dart, and then I'll just find a V8 for my truck. But ultimately, I realized that I'm just too knee-deep in my Dart and my truck right now to take on another project. Now, that being said, if you want to see me take on another project, a 1971 Dodge Charger in EL5, and see me turn it into a ratty Pro Street machine, then by all means, go to TalkingMopars.com, go to the store, and buy a t-shirt, buy a sweatshirt. I need to build some funds if I'm going to get that car. So, you know, I'm just joking around, folks, but I really would like to get it, but I'm just not financially in a place, and I'm accepting donations. <laughs> um... Hopefully someone out there listening to this is maybe local to Washington and is looking for a car like that. And it's going for a thousand bucks. So if you got a thousand bucks and you want to go get that charger, you know, and come up with something cool, maybe you need a race car and you just need a shell. I like ratty cars. I like them scarred with bumps and bruises. I think they're cool. This one was special to me because it was EL5. That color has grown on me over the past five years. And... You know, I've seen it on a lot of different things. My favorite car I've ever seen EL5 on was a 69 and a half A12. I saw that car in person. Beautiful car. And I think it's really unique and it's a cool color. But like I said, I really wanted to build a ratty pro street car, but it's just not in the cards for me right now. Unless you guys want to help me out with that. But I'm not expecting you to. And I really do hope the car goes to a good owner. Um, somebody who's going to, you know, not chop it up. I know it doesn't have a title, but I don't know. There's just something about that car that, you know, I don't feel like it deserves to be chopped up. I think it could be brought back. Something really cool could be made from it. And I hope somebody out there does it. If not me, hopefully one of you. I posted it on the 17th. That was Friday. And, you know, it's still up there. It's still for sale. Go get it. All right. No Mopar left behind. This week's high-performance part was sent in to us from Randy Tomera from Illinois. He says, Hi Chris, first off I want to say how much I love the podcast. It is so awesome to have a podcast solely focused on my favorite subject, Mopars. 
I love the show you just did on Mr. Norm. Being an Illinois native, I am proud to have such an icon in the Mopar community representing my state. I also consider myself a big movie-slash-TV buff, so I also like your high-performance parts segment. I'm not sure if you are aware of this one yet, but in the 2012 movie Dark Shadows, there is a beautiful 1970 Plymouth Cuda convertible. The car belongs to the movie's villain, but is still a pretty sweet car. Hope you and your family are doing well. Looking forward to the next episode. Take care, Randy Tamara. Hey, Randy, thanks for sending in your contribution to High Performance Parts. I appreciate it. This car is actually really cool. I had no idea it even existed or that it was in this movie. So what we have is a 1970 Cuda convertible, and it's either a real Cuda convertible or a very, very high-quality clone. Now, here's the only stuff I know about the car. The car is currently in the United Kingdom and has now been converted to a Hemi Cuda with a shaker. That's most of the information I could dig up on the car. Some other information I was able to find from the same source is that it could very well have a twin or the same car was posted for sale and it's apparently a true Cuda matching numbers and was originally Lemon Twist but was repainted E5 Rally Red. It was also a 383 four barrel car. And if it's the same car, then it's a numbers matching car, or at least it was before it was converted to a Hemi Cuda. So that's all I could gather on the car. Really cool, really nice car. I mean, even if it's a tribute, it's beautiful. It's got the hood pins. And, you know, who doesn't love a Cuda convertible? You know what I mean? Cudas are cool no matter what year they are. So very neat car. Thanks again for contributing to High Performance Parts. And thanks for listening to the show. I hope your family is doing well. That was High Performance Parts. It is time once again for listener stories. This time around, we have two from the same individual. One is the original, and the second is the follow-up. So I'm just trying to catch up here, folks, so bear with me, okay? So these are from Nate Hull out of Oklahoma. Hi, Chris. I wanted to share with you my Project Mopar story. I just finished episode 3 where you talked briefly about your 76 D100, and that inspired me to give this story. When I was 7 years old is the first time I had interaction with Mopars. I went to my grandfather's house and he showed me a 72 D100. I loved that truck and still have pictures of me sitting in it. He bought this truck off a used lot sometime in the late 70s as a work truck. Since he was in the refrigerator business, he made a few modifications. The first, a hydraulic liftgate for the bed, and second, a propane tank and system to increase the truck's fuel capacity and mileage. Not only was this a work truck, but he took it all over the U.S. on many camping and backpacking excursions. Over the years, I admired his truck from a distance, but it wasn't until I turned 15 that I got really interested. Unfortunately, my grandfather had Alzheimer's and was unable to work on it with me, but ultimately when I was 16, he gave it to me to be my first truck. To this day, the truck remains a project, but I love it dearly and can't wait to have it finished. It's a 1972 D100 single cab long bed in the Adventurer trim level. To this day, the truck still has the factory 318 and transmission, which have both been rebuilt recently. The propane system has been removed as well as the liftgate, and it is slowly going back to its original condition. For the future, I hope to hop up the motor a bit, give it a lower stance, and enjoy it as a piece of Mopar history and a great cruiser. Love the podcast. Can't wait to catch up and listen to all the episodes. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to hearing my story on the podcast. God bless. Nate Hull out of Oklahoma. Hey, Nate, thanks for the story, but wait, there's more. This is Nate's update. An update here for my Mopar story as there's been a development in it I think you, Chris, will find kind of cool. So like I said in my last story, I was obsessed with Mopars at an early age. 
By age seven, I was sitting in my grandpa's D100 and always wanting to ride in it with him to jobs. He used it to aid in his refrigerator repair business and had equipped the truck with a propane system and a hydraulic lift gate on the rear. By the time I was 16, and to my surprise, he decided to give me that 1972 D100 Adventure. It's a long bed, three-speed automatic 318 car and runs like a top. Since being given to me, I've done numerous repairs to get it back to what it once was. My vision for the truck is to give it a good stance, convert it to disc brakes up front, drop in a pepped-up 360, and give it good wheels, tires, and paint. What's interesting is while listening to your show, I was in search of disc brake parts. And because of your mentioning of the Tin Grills Dodge truck page on Facebook, I joined it and a couple others. Made a post, and like magic, a guy stepped up and sold me a parts truck for a smoking deal. Because of you and your podcast, I now have 90% of what I need to achieve my project dreams. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Nate Hull of Claremore, Oklahoma. Hey, Nate, thanks for the story and the update. I love hearing about tin grill Dodge trucks or any Dodge truck for that matter that are used as project vehicles. They are not only fun, but they are pretty easy to find parts for, and they're considerably cheaper than, say, an E-body or a B-body. So they're great entry-level Mopar projects. And hey, sometimes they're not even entry-level. Some guys with a lot of experience with Mopars decide to get into the truck scene later. They're great trucks, and hey, at least they're not C10s, right? <laughs> I think it's great that you're getting this thing back on the road, and you have a vision for it, and you're slowly getting there. That's awesome. Keep me updated on the project. I love Tin Grill Dodge trucks, as I've said before many, many times. And hey, I'm also glad that you found the Tin Grill Dodge truck page. It's a great resource for these trucks, and I direct anybody interested in Tin Grills, that's 72 to 80 Dodge trucks, to go check out the Tin Grill Dodge truck page on Facebook. It is an excellent resource, and I'm also a moderator over at the Drop Tin Grills page. So if you're into lowered tin grills, go check that page out too. My advice for anyone wanting to get in the Mopar game, maybe you don't have a Mopar yet, but you want one and you're not sure what to get, don't be scared to look at any of the Mopar trucks because, like I said, they make great projects. So thanks, Nate, once again. And like I said, keep me updated, buddy. It sounds like you've got a cool project. And anytime somebody gets an heirloom Mopar, I am in full support. I think it's great that your grandpa gave you that truck and that you're building it and cherishing it. That is awesome. Thanks again for your story. If you have a Mopar story that you'd like to share on the show, you can email me, chris at talkingmopars.com, or you can leave the story in the form of a voice message at my voicemail box. The number is 20928-MOPAR, and you will be able to hear your story on the show. Gather round, Mopar enthusiasts. It's time to learn a thing or two as we drop some knowledge on the 1970 Chrysler Hearst 300H convertible. Let me preface this segment by saying that I've seen this car in person, and I've done some research on it, and I've even spoken to the current owner. So I'm confident in saying that what I'm about to tell you is all 100% fact. Okay? So... I know there's a lot of rumors going around about this car, and a lot of people are talking about it, and some people don't have the full story. They don't know exactly what they're talking about. So I'm here to clear the air on the 1970 Chrysler Hearst 300H convertible, okay? So here are the facts. The car is one of one. It is a Mopar unicorn. There is no other original Chrysler Hearst 300H convertible. There's only one real one. The rest of them are tribute cars, okay? Out of all 1970 Chrysler Hearst 300s, 
there was one convertible out of 501 made. So there are 500 coupes and one convertible. Now there's been rumors of a second car. Two were originally scheduled for production, but only one was actually built, and it was built as a public relations car. All Chrysler Hearse 300s were built super late in production, and that late production limited Chrysler from doing what they originally intended to do, which was install 426 Hemis and Hearst Auto Stick shifters in all of them. This convertible was equipped with a TNT 440, 375 horsepower, and it did in fact have a Hearst Auto Stick shifter. It was actually the only Hearst 300 that actually had a Hearst Auto Stick shifter in it. I mean, come on, what company promo vehicle would it be without the Hearst shifter? Okay, so it had that. It had a Chrysler 8 and 3 quarter with a Sure Grip. The Hearst 300H convertible came equipped with Goodyear Polyglass tires and Unilug Kregers because at the time Kreger was sponsoring Hearst. And here's an interesting fact that you may or may not have known. The hood locks on the 300H are actually from Oldsmobiles and the only Oldsmobile part offered on any Chrysler product ever. Okay, so those are the basic facts about the 1970 Chrysler Hearst 300H convertible. It is a very cool car. Unfortunately, it does not have a Hemi, but it also does not have a column shift automatic. It has a Hearst auto shifter on the floor, and it is absolutely 100% real. I've heard a lot of different controversies. Some people were asking about the pictures and the different placement of the logo on the quarter panel. Well, we found out that the originals were actually magnets, and they kept getting stolen. So, to solve that problem, Hearst actually painted them on. There's been some controversy about the car. A lot of people say it's a clone, that it doesn't even exist. You know, let's put all that to bed right now. The 1970 Chrysler Hearst 300H is very real. It's one of one. Okay? End of story. It's owned by a guy named Trev. Cool guy. I really want to get him on this show. I spoke with him, and hopefully he'll be a future guest. He's got a lot on his plate right now, which is completely understandable, so I left him an open invitation. He can come on the show whenever he wants. He just has to reach out to me, and I'd like to get the full story of the car out to you guys, the listeners. I heard a good portion of the history of the car, and Trev is a big Seabody guy, so I know there's a lot of Seabody guys listening right now that have been asking me to get them Seabody content. I'm working on it, so hey. If you know any other Seabody enthusiasts that know a lot about Seabodies, have them reach out to me. I'd love to talk to them, get them on the show, and let's learn about Seabodies. They're very cool cars. I like them a lot, and I really like these 300s. Um, obviously, you know, there's only one convertible, so I won't be getting a convertible, and the coupes are kind of hard to find, but all of a sudden I keep seeing pictures of these, you know, Project Hearse 300s floating around, and I'm like, man, how much are those going for? You know? But, uh, I just wanted to put some of the rumors about the 1970 Chrysler Hearst 300H convertible to bed. So now that we've done that, now that we know that it's real and there's only one of them, now there's no more arguing. Perfect. Now we know what the truth is, and I'm hoping that a lot of people that hear this podcast spread that word when you see or hear somebody say false things about the Hearst convertible, okay? So now we can separate fact from fiction. So this is good news. One thing I pride myself with, as far as talking Mopars goes, is that I do quite a bit of research into these topics that I talk about if I don't know the facts. And if I think I know the facts, I always double check just to be sure because I don't want to misinform you guys. So just know if I'm talking, if I'm telling you a story or if I'm telling you about a car or 
you know, any time in Mopar history, know that I've done the research. You know, and I'm, I'm human. Okay, I make mistakes. But for the most part, you can pretty much trust what I'm telling you to be true. I don't guess as far as these types of historical facts go. So just know that you can trust me. But, you know, you get on the internet, Facebook especially, and you see all sorts of stuff. Instagram's guilty too. You know, you can see all sorts of people spreading misinformation and it spreads like wildfire. So, you know, some things were brought up about this Hearst 300H convertible and I may have stretched the argument out a little bit longer than it needed to be. But, you know, I just wanted to make sure that people weren't spreading false information because certain things can be taken out of context. You know, somebody says, oh, it's a clone. You know, it's a what if car, things like that. They can easily be taken out of context. I took something like that out of context. So what I do understand is that the Hearst was not a production car. They didn't produce a bunch of convertibles. They produced some coupes, 500 of them, but they made one convertible. You can't call it a production car, essentially, the convertible. You can call the coupes a production car. There was 500 made. And actually, if you think about it, there was 503 Daytonas and 69 made. So that's crazy. That almost makes the Hearst a little bit more rare, if you ask me. But, and that's just based on production numbers alone. But uh, very cool car, like I said. And I'm just happy to finally get this information out there. So if you ever hear somebody or see somebody spreading false information, just be sure, you know, you tell them, actually, that's not true. You know, politely correct them. That's the only way that we can, you know, try to stomp out some of these little fires that happen with this <laughs> misinformation out there, you know? So it's all in the sake of learning and it's all in the sake of keeping Mopar history alive and factual because, <laughs> you know, so I don't know about you, but I get annoyed when somebody says something that's absolutely incorrect and I don't want to sound like a jerk and correct them, you know, like I'm Mr. Know-it-all because I'm not, I am 100% not Mr. Know-it-all. There's a million and a half more people that know more about Mopars than I do. I'm a student to Mopar culture. I say it all the time. So and if you're here, maybe you're a student of Mopar culture, and maybe you're relying on me to give you information or to teach you things. And if that's the case, I want to make sure I do my research. I want to do my part in making sure that I give you accurate information. So just know that you can count on me. <laughs> but thanks for listening to this little segment on the Hearst 300H convertible. I'm happy to get this off my chest. I really want to get the current owner on and pick his brain about the car and really get into the history. You know, because a lot of people are like, oh, show me proof. And I think if you hear this story, you'll understand that it is absolutely true. And the car has been documented. So if you're still a doubter, I don't know if I can help you, but I would like to. You know, what do you want to know about the car? I have direct contact with the owner and I can answer any questions about it. So if you have any questions, reach out to me, ask me, and I'll get a hold of the current owner. And we'll see if we can clear the air on any other issues that are brought up about the car. But my bottom line is it is real, it is one of one, and it is a Mopar unicorn. We did it, folks. We made it to the end of another episode of Talking Mopars. But before we drive off into the sunset, I have to remind you about BuildMopar.com. It's an exciting project car that we can all take part in building together as a community. My friends over at Hemipages.com and ReadyChassis.shop have put together an amazing project called Build Mopar, 
where a vintage Superstock era Mopar chassis and a modern Mopar Hemi will be utilized to create the ultimate mix of classic and modern Mopar muscle. The car will be built based on votes by us, the Mopar community. For the first time ever in Mopar history, we will all have a vote in what Mopar will be built and how it will be built. This project will be supported by the biggest names in Mopar performance and will be tested and competing at the Modern Street Hemi Shootout in 2021. We want you to participate. Your vote matters. So join me and the rest of the Mopar enthusiast community and cast your votes on buildmopar.com. By the time you hear this, we already know what car is going to get built, and it is a 1968 Dodge Dart built in tribute to the Hearst Superstock Hemi Dart of 1968. You can still get your vote in for all the other aspects of the build. Just go to buildmopar.com. There you have it, folks. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar-addicted mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com or leave me a voice message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. Folks, we also have merch in the Talking Mopars merch shop. You can purchase cool things like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and more. So if you want to help support the show and get some cool stuff at the same time, jump on over to TalkingMopars.com and head over to the store. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.